Thank you for being here. It is an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, and it's an honor for many reasons. And one of which is, as the president of MCC, I get the privilege in going and thanking the many partners and donor churches who help us fulfill our mission. And Crestview is one of those. I don't know how many of you know that, but um, MCC only has two sources of income, our students and donors. Uh, we don't receive anything from the state or the, the city or the government to help us do what we do. Uh, so that means those of you who work at K-State or uh, maybe the technical college, you know what it's like because of losing funding right now. Uh, we're not losing anything. That's the good thing. We've never had it, but we're not losing anything either. But uh, so we, we've learned to live without it, but we do, uh, we do rely on many faithful donors and Crestview and some of the individuals who attend here are a part of those donors. And we just want to say thank you very much. We really could not do what we do in fulfilling our mission of educating, equipping, enriching Christian leaders if it weren't for you. Uh, and if I figured right in my head, I, y'all are, I know uh, in the top 20% of those 150 churches in the amount that y'all give. So we are so very, very thankful for that. Uh, Obviously, living in Manhattan, you've probably seen uh, our building that's going up at 14th and Anderson, our activity center. Uh, I don't know if you follow me on Instagram or anything, but I'll show you a couple of pictures of what's going on. That's the concept that the architect gave us about 15, 16 months ago of what the building would look like when it's done. This next slide shows you what it looked like on Thursday. And uh, so it is looking uh, so much like uh, what they've done. Uh, They were supposed to pour sidewalk tomorrow. I don't know if after uh, the rain we got this weekend, if they're going to be able to pour sidewalk tomorrow. Uh, We'll find out. But uh, it is really looking nice. On the inside, progress continues. Uh, That's going to be the entryway. You can see the floor ceiling is done. The uh, trophy case is installed. The limestone's in. The two doors that are leaning right there are now installed. And it's really going to be a nice entryway into the facility. The next picture shows you the the uh, the court that we're putting in, and uh, that all is installed now. I think on Wednesday they will start the striping uh, to stripe the courts, and then we'll be sealing it. And uh, we really probably won't have any pictures posted of that because you can't go on it when they're when they're doing all of that. So we'll have to have it be off of it for about ten days, and won't be able to go in that room. But that floor is all installed. The next slide will show you. Uh, here's the stage we're at. This is our uh, concession. Stage that we'll have in that facility. And uh, this is the stage. See the little two little cabinet doors to the left and the upper left of the picture? Uh, Pepsi graciously is donating to us a cooler to go in there to hold the, the drinks that we will be selling, the, the soda, uh, the Pepsi, excuse me, the Pepsi brand drinks we will be selling in that machine. They won't let us put anything else in there. And this week we discovered from uh, the design 18 months ago that the cooler is seven inches taller than that cabinet will allow. So that that's this week where little things like we'll have to move that cabinet up so it'll have room for the cooler in there, but that's going to be a nice space. The next slide shows you some of our our locker room. Uh, I can't remember. I think this might be our women's locker room and the lockers that are now installed. And uh, so we're at a stage where everything's rapidly finishing up. And so it's pretty exciting. I've shared in all the other services, our visitor's locker room doesn't have lockers that are that nice. Uh, They've got hooks and shelves. That's all they have. So um, uh, it was just being good stewards of the money because obviously lockers cost money. Uh, The next slide will show you um, what it looks like. We installed all the bleachers. We'll have bleachers that'll seat 300. Uh, But in there, we could seat about 700 at a special event with tables and chairs. And so it is a great size room and will be very exciting to finish up. This is installing some of the athletic equipment just on Thursday. I I took this picture. And uh, then this last one will show you uh, one of the basketball goals in. You can see the birch wood that'll line it. The floor is maple. 
whole, it's really going to be a great looking facility. You see the darker line, that's where they've already sealed the floor where the bleachers are going. So that'll show you the, the color of the floor that it's going to be once it's done. And uh, the sound panels are the multicolored blue. It's going to be a great facility. Y'all, y'all also gave a little extra gift above and beyond your monthly support to help us fund that. And we're very pleased to say that uh, of the $3.8 million we needed for that entire project, God has provided all of it. And it is all above and beyond. That is, that is great news. Uh, praise the Lord for that. It's student tuition dollars don't go to that. Uh, our regular monthly giving dollars do not go to that. That is all in above and beyond giving in, in the last two years. So it has been a very humbling thing to see what God has done to provide for that facility. And, and y'all are a part of that. So thank you very much. And I want to use that as a transition into our sermon. I want you to understand um, that is not our mission. Having an activity center is purely a tool to help us fulfill our mission. And I share that because I want to be very clear. When people ask me, what's my vision for MCC? Often they're asking in the context of what facilities do you see that you need? What's your vision? What what programs do you want to add? What changes would you want to make? But when I am honestly asked, Kevin, what do you hope your legacy is at MCC? It's not this building being completed. It's not a new parking lot. It's not Jolliffe Hall being renovated. My vision and heart and the reason I serve at MCC is this. I want us to fulfill our mission and that we have students who have graduated and are serving Christ all around the world making an impact for Christ. That's what I want my leadership to be all about. That's what I want MCC to be all about. These are tools that help us fulfill that mission, but I hope it ultimately ends up that we have people from MCC who have been impacted by that ministry literally all over the world making a difference for Christ in ministry and in missions, uh, not only in that, but in education and in business, in the military, whatever vein there would be possibility, that's what I see and, and that's what I really have as my heart. I want us to train up those Christian leaders. And so today I want to talk a little bit about my perception of what a Christian leader is. And if I were to sum it up very simply, and I want you to get from my whole sermon, it would be this truth. Christian leaders are servants. Christian leaders are servants of our true leader, Jesus Christ. That's ultimately what I think Christian leadership is all about. And I would love our students and graduates of MCC to understand that. But I also want every Christian to understand that truth. That's why I wanted to share that message today. That Christian leaders are servants who are laying their life on the line for Jesus Christ. And to talk about that a little deeper, I would love to use Acts chapter 20. And I'm going to start in verse 17, and I want to read a few verses that Paul shared with the the elders of Ephesus that he met with them in Miletus at the end of his third missionary journey as he was heading back to Jerusalem. So listen to this. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me sum up what I'm going to be talking about in one sentence. And you may be thinking, why don't you just give us the sentence and let us go to lunch so we beat everybody else. But you got to hear the rest of it too. So listen to the sentence. Biblical servanthood is a kingdom action fed by an attitude of humility that endures through all adversity, 
working solely to accomplish the goal of sharing Christ with all men. Now let's break that down a little bit. First, biblical servanthood is a kingdom action. In verse 18, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving. I was with you the whole time serving. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28 say this. It is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, be an imitator of me as I also am of Christ. When we look at Paul's ministry and break it down, I think we could sum up was that Paul was a servant. And when I say that, I want you to understand the depth of what I mean. Servant, serving is a verb. Serving to serve tells us that there is action involved, not just words. He has done something. And understand the depth of this. When Paul said this in Acts chapter 20 to the elders, he was laying his integrity on the line. He said, you remember when I was with you, I was serving. Those people didn't just hear the words, hey, you know, they didn't hear a report. When I was over in this city, I served. They knew in his city where he spent months, one of the longest places he served on all of his missionary journeys was Ephesus. They pictured in his mind where he served, how he served, what he did, what he accomplished. So he laid it all on the line. When I was with you, I served. And service in the kingdom is an action. Service in the kingdom is not a tweet. Service in the kingdom is not a post. Service in the kingdom is not a hope. It is not a wish. It is not a desire. It is something we do that we make a difference with. And I think so often in the church, we've become a consumer model where we come to church to be served. We come to church to participate. We come to church to be fed. And then we leave in the other six days of the week we lay it beside. But that's not Christianity. Kingdom service is an action that is six days a week as addition to what we do on Sunday. It was what he did. He spent several years there and he served. Anthony DeMello saw a starving child shivering in the cold years ago. Angrily, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, God, how could you allow such suffering? Why don't you do something? There was a long silence, and then DeMello was startled when he heard the voice of God answer him. I have done something. I made you. I don't know if there's anything in your life that stirs your heart, but I would bet there is. There's some need in our world that needs to be met. Maybe it's young children. Maybe it's single moms. Maybe it's ministry to military. Maybe it's something that's going on in prison. Maybe it's a hungry child in a third world country. Maybe it's somebody who has medical needs. I don't know what it is, but I bet there's something that stirs your heart that makes you go, wow, something needs to be done about that. I want us to understand as Christians, when God lays that upon our heart, there is an answer. He made you. And he gave you that stirring, in my opinion. There's something he wants you to do about it. And Christian, uh, Christian living, Christian leadership is service. And it's an action that we do something about. Something that he lays upon our heart. 
Let's take a little further. Biblical servanthood is fed by an attitude of humility. He said in this, you know how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility. And this is important. Humility is a necessary attitude that ought to be able to distinguish what we do in this world from what the world does in this world, from those who don't know Christ and what they do in this world. When you look around our world, other people want titles, they want positions, they want salaries, they want notoriety for what they do. But if we're serving Christ, we should come in with an attitude of humility and what we do is never about us, it's all about him. And I think we could say that about Paul's life. When he served, what he wanted was people to know Christ, not to know him. And for us to be able to serve over the long haul, to serve over the long term, to serve with the right motive, we've got to have people who court a humility that understands who we really are and what we really bring to the table. Now, before I came to the college, I was serving as a pastor in western Kansas and and for 10 years preached at the same church. And there were many of those Sundays that after I preached, I was walking to the back because Great Bend was a church where you had to shake people out the door if they didn't touch the pastor before they left. They hadn't officially been at church. Have any of you ever been to one of those churches, you know, that everybody's got to kind of touch the pastor? Oh, okay, I've been. I got the blessing. I can move on. And it was one of those churches. And I was at the back door. And there were days I was walking to the back in the middle of the closing song that I was thinking, man, that went really well. That's just what I wanted it to do. That sermon was just spot on of what I wanted to communicate. And I would go to the back door and there would be people just saying, yeah, have a great week, pastor. Good. Have a great week, pastor. And you're thinking, man, did that not touch anybody? Let me contrast that. That was Sundays that I was walking to the back going, that was the worst sermon I've ever given. That didn't come together. Nothing went right. People were sleeping. You know, I just think that that was just horrible. God, I am so sorry. It seemed to be those Sundays were the people who came to the back and made specific comments about when you said this, it was like you had been watching in my window all week and God really spoke to me through you this morning. Thank you. And there were moments where I would go, wow, I didn't think it was going to go that way, God. And he would tap me on my heart and say, Kevin, I just want to remind you, it's not you. It's me. With all humility. Understanding the depth that what we do, it's understanding it's a depth of mind concerning our character and our strengths and our gifts and understanding the truth of who we really are and nothing that we bring to the table, we bring to the table. What we bring to the table to use is what God has given us to bring to the table to use. With all humility. And take that and serve, not for our motivation, but for Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render, yourself, render your service excuse me, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us at the right time, serving him with a whole heart to where we don't care if anybody recognizes it or not. Probably, probably the best illustration or one of the best I've ever seen of this is from when my wife and I went to a Cirque du Soleil show. Anybody in the room ever seen a Cirque du Soleil show? It's an acrobatic show. It is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And we saw the show O, which is done over water, okay? And um, it's not a church illustration, so hang in there with me and I get to the end, you'll understand it. 
But uh, we were at this show, and it's over water. And when we came in, there was no stage. And they were doing acrobatic moves, and the Cirque du Soleil artists are just incredible. And they would, they would just flip off the trapeze, and they would dive down into the water and disappear in the water. And then the next thing you know, the stage is there, and there's people walking on the stage, and they're doing all these things on the stage. And you're like, where did that stage come from? And you realize they had a stage that had holes in it that came in and out, and it would disappear in the water, and it would come back up. And there was one part of the show where there was a guy 40 feet up, and he was diving down into the... The, to the water, but I knew the stage was full and I looked real quick and the stage was still there and he disappeared through the stage. I thought he was going to die. You know, I, I thought he was going to be injured, but no, there was a hole large enough for him just to dive right through and he disappeared. And I, I mean, we went, oh, oh, wow, that was amazing because they, I mean, it was incredible. But one of the amazing things about it was these artists would be below the water for three or four minutes at a time. And then all of a sudden they would appear again before the water. And we were like, how are they breathing below water? And here's what really hit me. Near the end of the show, there was a time where the stage rose up and was above the water, and there were four or five people wearing wetsuits. You couldn't see their faces because they were garbed in wetsuit from head to toe. They had the air tanks on their back, and they flopped around on stage for like 30 seconds, like fish dying and starving for air if they were a fish out of water. And everybody in the crowd applauded, and then the stage disappeared, and you realized they played one of the most important roles of anybody in the show. Because when the artists would disappear below the water for three or four minutes, they didn't go off stage somewhere underneath the water. There were people underneath the water providing them what they needed to live until it was time for them to be back above stage again as a part of the show. And here's what's interesting. The next day, walking the streets, if I would have walked by the artist, I could have possibly recognized them because the booklet had all of their faces and the history of who they were and what they did. But the people who were in the wetsuits had no picture. The people who were in the wetsuits, as far as I know, weren't even listed in the booklet. But they were an essential part of the show. And I would not have recognized them even if I was in a group of all four or five of them. That ought to be the way we are in the kingdom. That we don't need the recognition. We don't need anybody to know who we are. We don't need anybody to say, hey, I saw what they did. We ought to be people who are serving to please the Lord. Uh, we are serving the Lord with an attitude of humility, that that humility feeds what we do over the long term. And it doesn't have to be about us because our lives need to be about somebody else. And that somebody else is Jesus Christ. That's why in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, For I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That was Paul's life. He served the Lord with an attitude of humility. And that's what we need to be as Christian servants. And he continues, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Understand this, biblical servanthood is an action that is fed by humility, that is able to serve regardless of what's coming our way. We're able to serve regardless of what's happening to us. We're able to serve regardless of what the world is doing to us. If we lived in an Arab country right now and we're living a Christian life, we would have the potential of being killed for our faith. And we ought to live it anyway. 
The persecution that's occurring around the world, the Christians, I believe will one day come to America. We're seeing it in different ways with social issues that are trying to tell us how to believe. We're seeing it with laws that are trying to be changed that might affect the church. Like, I don't know if you knew, but for the last couple of years, even in the state house of Kansas, they're talking about eliminating the charitable tax deduction to where you could not be able to claim on your taxes a deduction for giving to a kingdom, a kingdom thing, a mission or a ministry. I, I have to think about it from an MCC perspective. If I was a pastor in a church, I would have to think about it. Will that cause us to lose people given to the school? Will that cause people to not give to my church? But you know, it shouldn't matter. We're going to be serving anyway. Through all the difficulty that this world could throw at us, we need to keep serving and making a difference. And when Paul shares that, he hung in there continuing to serve. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 11. It wasn't like he just had uh, church members who gave him a hard time every now and then. It wasn't just like he had to get up early in the morning and, and go to early morning meetings. Listen to what he endured. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Have any of you ever endured anything like that? So when Paul says, I continued to serve among you with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, there is a depth of experience he had in his ministry. And as a committed servant, he was serving with all of his heart, with full humility, regardless of what came his way, he kept serving. And the church today has to leave its consumer culture and mindset behind and be willing to be Christians no matter what's thrown our way. And serve. Maybe a good illustration is Simon of Cyrene who was asked to carry the cross when Jesus was on his way to his crucifixion. And they pressed him into service. And I know he had to be uncomfortable and probably didn't want to carry the cross. I know the people who were hurling insults at Jesus and spitting upon him began to hurl insults on Simon the Cyrene and probably even spat on him. The duty at hand wasn't pretty at all. But he picked up his cross of Christ and carried it anyway. And Christ challenges us to take up our cross daily and follow him. We need to do the same. And that's Christian servanthood. And Christian servanthood has one goal. To accomplish the goal of sharing Christ with all men. That's why we serve. It's not for us. It's not for our notoriety. It's not for our name. It's not for anything we do. It's not for any of our glory. We should want people to see Christ in us in all we do as servants of the kingdom of God. Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his goal. That was his heart. We had a speaker on campus a few years ago who I thought summed it up well when I went up to compliment him for what he said. He said, you know, Kevin, I found this to be true. God works through me in spite of me, not because of me, but because of Christ. Hear that. 
God works through us in spite of us, not because of us, but because of Christ. And that needs to be the goal of our whole life, to accomplish the goal of sharing Christ with all men. See, Christian leaders in the world want titles, they want positions, they want salaries, they want notoriety, they want to be recognized, but Christian leaders need to have something different. They don't need a title, they need a testimony. I think if we looked at Pharaoh's life, we could say Pharaoh wanted a title, and as Moses grew in his walk with God, Moses wanted a testimony. I think we could see Pilate, and Pilate probably as the the ruler of the area where Jesus was crucified wanted a title, but Jesus obviously laid his life on the line and wanted a testimony. Ananias and Sapphira, when they gave their gift, they gave to get a title and notoriety, and it ended up that uh, the Holy Spirit took their life from them because it was all a lie, and Barnabas, when he gave everything, he wanted a testimony. Let me ask the question, what do you want? What do you want your life to be known about? You want your life to be known about Christ? Do you want your life to be known about you? If we're truly going to be Christians in the world, our life needs to be about him and not about us. Because biblical servanthood is an action that is fed by humility that our life is about other things, that serves through any adversity our world could throw our way, and it has one purpose, to share Christ with all who come in contact with us. One of the great privileges I have at MCC is getting to know our students. And I I get to see them in a variety of opportunities and a variety of service. And I get to follow them on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I get to see where all they are and where our camp teams went this summer. We had a team in Greece this summer and they served amazingly well. We had probably students on every continent this summer, South America, Africa, Europe, uh, Asia, serving Christ. And this year I had the privilege, I, I single out two young ladies only because I had the privilege to be with them in person. And four weeks ago today, I was in the Dominican Republic. I went with one of our professors to teach down there, train pastors and leaders, and we did that on Friday night and all day Saturday, and um, on Sunday morning, since they do church on Sunday night, uh, we had some free time, and so the pastor and the leader there uh, put, um, put uh, Dave, Dr. Henry and I and his uh, son, and we drove two hours south to San Cristobal. I mean, it was an interesting journey. The roads aren't the best. We were going through the mountains. Uh, we were driving. I looked down. I had a heart attack. The speedometer said 140. And I realized that uh, they go in kilometers instead of miles per hour. And then I translated it and realized we were still driving 85 to 90 through the mountains of Dominican Republic uh, with bad roads. So it was an interesting venture. It strengthened my spiritual life in a significant way. But while I was there, I got to see these two young ladies, Raven and Jeannie. And um, Raven and Jeannie, the students who are in the room, know that they're just very quiet, unassuming girls who kind of fly under the radar. But what was cool was when we saw them in San Cristobal serving in this neighborhood, um, they came to life. And again, I could have gone to any continent in the world this summer and had an experience with uh, other students of MCC just like I had with them. But this is who I got to see hands-on this summer. And I want you to look at the neighborhood they're in right there. Pardon my back, but... See, the streets are dirt. There's trash everywhere. You look to the upper left and you see a piece of tin that's very uh, crude and rudimentary and the door as well is tin that's old and abused. It's because this neighborhood was built on a trash dump. And those are houses and, um, that they've turned into uh, 
places where people live, and there's only two, over 2,000 people who live in this neighborhood built on a trash dump, and a high percentage of them are children. And these are some of the children that we got to see. A third of the children were totally naked with no shoes, no clothes. A third had on clothes but no shoes. And another third had on clothes and shoes. And I could do a whole sermon series alone at see the smiles on their faces. They have nothing but they're totally happy. We in America could learn from that purely, simply on its own. But we weren't 100 feet into this huge neighborhood with over 2,000 people full of refugees who are refugees from the Dominican because maybe a hurricane tore their house down or a flood took their house down or an earthquake took their house down. And this is where they can afford to go and live. In this neighborhood are drug dealers. In this neighborhood are prostitution. In this neighborhood is abuse and rape and problems like you would not believe and diseases. And uh, like one of the kids had orange colored hair, rust colored hair, and the, the director of the DR mission that they're there serving with saw my look on my face and he said, uh, I know in America you would look at a child like that and it was because their mother either dyed their hair or somebody else did, but that children, that child has that color hair because it means they're malnourished. And that's a sign that we need to get them the food that they need. And Raven was holding a little child who had this, this huge runny nose and, you know, the, the parent in me wanted to take a rag out and wipe the nose and he saw me looking at the child and he said, and by the way, that child doesn't have a cold. That means that child has parasites in its body. And that's our sign to know that we need to treat them for parasites because we can't do the blood work and we can't do everything else. And, and um, what was cool was... Um, when we pulled up 100 feet in, within three minutes, there were two dozen children surrounding Raven and Jeannie. It's their second summer to go there, and they call them by name. Raven, Raven, Jeannie, Jeannie. And to be honest, it was kind of interesting because a fight broke out <laughs> between the two dozen children. They were fighting over who was going to be able to be held and loved on by Raven and Jeannie first. And a little girl decked a little boy, just knocked him flat out. And I was like, am I supposed to help here? I want a referee. I didn't know what to do. I just kind of looked at the mission director, and he goes, they'll solve it themselves. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get involved. But... Um, Seeing those two young ladies remind me why I serve at MCC because I got to see what they do firsthand and it reminded me of what uh, we have students and graduates and alumni doing all over the world right now. They're serving Christ with all humility through some really difficult times and they're doing it because they want little children like that to know Jesus Christ. There's no plumbing in this area. The sewer when somebody went in the bathroom uh, the water ran into the street they have to carry five gallon buckets to take water to all these houses but it's interesting they're all washing clothes they mop their floors every day but in that is not just physical disease but there's a tremendous amount of spiritual need so they go there with all humility to take Christ to people who need Christ tremendously and it challenged me, and I hope it challenges you. Why? Because if we're going to be a Christian, even a Christian leader, our heart needs to be that we need to put our words into action and serve with all humility so that our lives will be about the people in our, in our world who need Christ. And to serve through hard times and good times no matter what the world throws our way to keep serving so that all people will know Christ. 
You may never know to San Cristobal, but you'll go to your neighborhood here. You may be able to never love on little children who are fighting disease, but there may be a child in your neighborhood next door to you. Wherever we go, whatever we do, our life does not need to be about us. It needs to be about him. Father, I pray that um, your Holy Spirit would help translate my message into the lives and the hearts of the people who are in the room. I pray, Lord, that you would use uh, this passage out of Acts where Paul kind of summarizes his ministry to the elders from Ephesus as a challenge to us to let that be the summary of our life. That through everything that we do and say, with all of our time and energy and talents and treasure you've provided us, we serve you with all humility, regardless of what comes our way, so that we can make an impact for you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for using us. And may all of our lives be about all of your kingdom and to the praise of your glory. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.